Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. We're leaving out the theorizing and exploring this strange phenomenon of being a human and a therapist. I'm Kelly, licensed marriage and family therapist, working in private practice settings as a clinician and a clinical supervisor in the Denver metro area. And I'm Abby. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the owner of a group practice in the Denver metro area. Kelly and I are both registered play therapists, supervisors, and EMDR certified. So we're both therapists, but this is not therapy. And we're both supervisors, but this is not supervision. This podcast is purely for fun. So for any ethical concerns on your caseload, please refer to your state laws and licensing boards. And please remember to follow The Whole Therapist on Instagram, Facebook, and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening station. For more resources, blogs, and consultation opportunities, visit wholetherapistinstitute.com. So come join our conversation while we explore the embodied experience of neuroscience and authenticity in the therapy room. Hi, welcome to the Whole Therapist Podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Abby. Excited to have you with us today. We are going to be talking about language, linguistics. Yeah, we're having some some words about words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and as always with the podcast, just wish that we could move away from the words, but it's a podcast, so we can't. Yeah, we got inspired. Abby was recently at the World Sand Tray. World Association for Sand Tray. I feel like it's WASP. Mm. I feel like I've seen that before. Though. Okay. Yeah. We're going to link it. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. This um, 2022 conference, just incredible. Bonnie Badnock, Rita Grayson, and Lorraine Friedel did an amazing job speaking around sand tray, sand therapies, and sand play. And a theme that I've heard throughout the last couple of days with this group, and then also in Bonnie and Joe's IPNB um, intensive that I'm doing, this theme around language, like the words that we use really matter. Mm -hmm. So we want to talk about that today while honoring that the words are not not the most important part of us or of meaning making by any means. So Lorraine Friedel, I just have to say that her face is so joyful. There's very few people on this planet that I can feel so connected to on Zoom. And as she presented, there was something about her way of connecting with all of us. And there was a hundred of us. Wow! Like she doesn't know me individually, but I really appreciated her way of being with us. And something that she said was, I don't care what you know until I know that you care. Mm. And we were talking about right and left hemisphere integration and how that comes up in the sand tray and Dan Siegel's nine integration ways and like all very left brain things while inserting this relational truth that clients cannot really care what we know until they know that we care. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's what we feel from all of you too, right? Like the, the teaching pieces of the podcast can't land until you know that we really, we we want you to feel us with you. Like we care how you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it goes to the two pieces of, and you can do that without words. Yes. And words matter. They do. They really matter. We had to look this up from Cozzolino. So by no means is this like Abby and Kelly's uh, knowledge right. without looking this up. But the language network is predominantly in the left hemisphere. 
and it relies on auditory, visual, and sensory information. We'll hear something comes in through the auditory system, and then we organize it into meaningful bits of information. So that connects like these sensory pieces of sound, sight, and touch to words. And these neural networks can be strengthened. Um, they're not only found in the left hemisphere, and it's interesting because McGilchrist has a study that he cites in his book, um, The Matter with Things, that talks about that if you had to remove one hemisphere, your IQ would stay the most like the same if you had the right hemisphere, meaning like the left is actually the least important. That's so fascinating. Which is so funny to be like, okay, the language network is mostly, I think of it in the left, mm-hmm. though the right lend it, lends itself to it, mm-hmm. and yet... Our IQ is really not reflective. If we had to pick one, it's not the left that saves us. And I guess we wanted to name that as we talked about this episode to just honor words are not the whole story. They matter, though it's not what makes us human. Yeah, and then to hold, I'm thinking about clients, right? So here they are telling a whole story. And for me, the story is not what I'm listening to. I'm listening for a word or Mm -hmm. a phrase And then when I hear that word, I know because I'm also just being really present with my body. If a client says a word in the story and all of a sudden there's something awakened in my body, then I hone in on that, right? Tell me more about being left behind. Yeah, so we listen, this auditory information to the word. Words matter Mm -hmm. because they convey meaning. Mm -hmm. But it's not, it's the sensory data in your body joined with that auditory information that gives you the words to say, oh, tell me more. Like this dance around that. Mm -hmm. Well, and Dan Siegel speaks to that the importance of both left and right. Yes. Right. The, the integration happens when both are there. Because for me, I always describe it as when you're trying to tell something, a story, or you want to tell somebody a, a word, or maybe you know, you're talking about celebrities and there's that celebrity name. And we say, it's on the tip of my tongue. And it just feels so like there's this piece missing and I just have to have to have it. And then once you get that name, that celebrity's name, you're like, oh, there it is. Yes. You can feel it. You're like, oh, <laughs> that feels so much better. Yeah. Right? So there's that right brain. Like I have this sense of knowing the name, yeah. but I don't have the word. And so it feels disconnected. And then once, sure. yes. Yeah. But as soon as you get the word, you've already had that right brain. Mm-hmm experience, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's just like this relaxation happens. Well, it's probably why words are so hurtful. You know, I'm thinking about this episode. We're going to talk about how language matters as therapists. The words we use matter because they can provide release and relief Mm -hmm. and the sense of being known, Mm -hmm. like you're saying, or they can hurt Mm -hmm. and harm. And I don't know that it's the words It's the, I mean, words are like puzzle pieces. It's the sense behind them Mm -hmm. that are hurtful. Yes. And something that Bonnie Badnock talks about a lot is that the word triggered is very violent. Yeah. Obviously. Mm -hmm. Triggered. Triggered, Mm -hmm. triggered. And a kinder way to talk about that is awakened. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this part is awakened. She does a lot of inner community, with her inner communities model of awakenings or being touched Mm-hmm. Um, this part has been touched. I have to say that in working with a lot of sexual abuse survivors, I personally don't use the word touched, mm-hmm. but awakened um, or sensing. Yeah. Like I'm sensing this. I know 
when we're talking to parents, yeah, um, we'll share when they say, "Oh, they're just um, they're just looking for attention." Yeah, and so I just ask parents, like, what would it be like if we were to restory this and say they were looking for connection, right? Or or they're so manipulative. How could we restore it to think about they're trying to get their needs met? They're resourceful, aren't they? Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And you can just see the parent a little more open-hearted towards their child, mm-hmm. or at least curious mm-hmm. about the shift of yes. how that feels in the body. Mm-hmm. So I think the words we use will either create like room mm-hmm. and expansion, or they're going to be restrictive and create more distance between us and mm-hmm. our clients. Yeah. Or I'm even thinking maybe in like a couple's dynamic where maybe one couple like is really negative about themselves before their partner can say anything because then there leaves no room for the partner to say something because this person's already said something very negatively. Yeah. And and saying like, oh, that's a relational strategy that's coming up. That's just so kind. Yeah. Relational strategy. I love that. Mm-hmm. I recently saw an article... I don't remember what it was now, Kelly, but we'll link it that talked about the window of presence mm-hmm. versus the window of tolerance, you know, because similar to what Bonnie was saying, the word tolerance sounds like something you just get through grit and bear mm-hmm. to tolerate the up and down parasympathetic, sympathetic kind of wave. If you think of that window, I'm moving my hand up and down. The window of presence feels much more like I can be present with some anxiety. I'm still in my window of presence. It just feels different. Or another woman talks about the circle of capacity. And I love circles. So instead of thinking of a window of tolerance, does it sound or feel different in our bodies to think of a circle of capacity? And it's not a, it's not a monolithic experience either. What, what will land for therapists or clients. Yes. And so I think it is important to honor and ask people. I mean, I think what's coming up for me is the post that Marshall just recently posted. So Marshall Lyles is asking to be for folks to reach out to him if they identify themselves as a healer of really any kind. Yeah. You don't have to necessarily be a therapist. And then he also said a healer and disabled. And he was, he put this caveat of disabled is how I identify, but you might identify a different way. Yeah. Right. So we certainly, when a client comes in, we just get to ask them, Yeah. you know, what language do you use around whatever they're coming in and presenting Anything. With? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their identities. Mm-hmm. This is how we ask about pronouns. Mm-hmm. Like, it just feels like this should be, I don't want to say normal, but kind of. It's like, can we just honor whatever yeah. anyone wants to be called? I know. And how they identify in any way, in any capacity. I worked with a supervisee who used to say, and then I knew, I, I almost cracked her. Mm. Or like, yeah, then I cracked her and she cried. Mm. And I remember my belly tightening. Like, oh goodness, are we cracking our clients? And just the way that I kind of gently asked, what would it be like to think of um, softening, like a client softening versus being cracked open mm-hmm. by us? And I think that in our field, we there's a place for grit mm-hmm. and even dark humor and things like that. But when we're with clients or getting consultation and supervision, language really matters because it told me about how this person was relating to their client mm-hmm. that they use that word. Well, and similarly, when you go back to even focusing on words, right? So I think this kind of goes back to our episode of like 
process over content. Just like in Sandtray or play therapy, we were tracking themes. Yeah. I'm just finding myself more and more these days, like hearing the same word in each session. Right. And that lets me know, like, let's just say that word out loud. And then when we have this integration piece, it's let's just sit with that word. Let's just, can you, maybe I say to the client, can you hear the word failure as I say that out loud? Mm -hmm. Notice what comes up in your body. Let's stay with that. Yeah. Or as as you hear me say that I've heard you say failure over the last five sessions, let's notice that. Yeah. And, and pairing it with images, like I'm looking at all your sand tray figures, Kelly, that what, what would that figure be to represent mm-hmm. that word, right? So you can hear us doing this words are left brain. Mm-hmm. The client that comes in and just wants to talk at you, mm-hmm. it's pretty left brained mm-hmm. or avoidant of feeling mm-hmm. for whatever adaptive reason. And we get to gently titrate into the right hemisphere around like imagery and body sensations. And, and honestly, I think that, I think that as therapists, we can have a hard time with that too. So your relationship with words and language and sensing into the essence behind them is going to directly reflect where you're at in your own work too. Yes. I'm just thinking about how Bonnie, and I believe in Cozolino's book too, we've talked about this on another podcast where clients know better than us where to go next. Yes. So as you were talking about a client that comes in and talks at you, I was thinking about tapes that I've reviewed of other therapists where, and tapes of myself, uh, where I'm just talking, you know, talking, <laughs> talking, talking. And so we, we can talk about the client that talks at us, but let's also talk about a therapist that talks at the client. Yeah. And just knowing, again, that your words your talking at the client is not going to heal them. No. They already know where to go. They just need somebody to trust that they know where to go. Yeah. That's so beautiful. It's like one of these moments I forget that we're recording and I'm just like, oh yeah, tell me more (laughs) about (laughs) this. Uh, Yeah. That's just very true. We can trust our clients and are you using words to fill space? Mm-hmm. So we're kind of talking about what's the therapist relationship with certain words. Mm. I'm smiling because we kind of talked about maybe not incorporating this into an episode, but it just really feels like if it's here. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> uh, so if there are kids nearby, you want to just maybe pause this. Um, or put on headphones. This is your disclaimer that there's some language coming. Yeah. Like, like strong, like profanity coming. Yes. Well, is it? Yeah. I have a body part. Oh, that's a good point. I don't. It's not a body part. I don't teach my daughter. That's true. Okay. Anyway. Here it is, right? Language. <laughs> um, I, I think that similarly, you might have a client that comes in and they really want to use the word touched. Yes. Right. And yeah. so I just think we have to be careful about there might be words that clients want to use and you have to figure out how to get comfortable so you can be regulated in that. And so why I'm thinking about this is I had taken a training with Paris Goodyear Brown and I wish I could remember it might be actually she was talking about working with sexual abuse mm-hmm. and some of the words that would come up when you're doing narratives of sexual abuse, Uh, maybe what like a perpetrator might've said, those kinds of things. And she said that the word that she really hated the most for a long time, profanity was cunt. And so she said that she would just sit in front of the mirror. Paris has a beautiful voice. So 
I apologize for this next piece here, but she would just be in the mirror and she would just start singing. Con, 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 And she said, now the word doesn't bother her anymore. So that if that language comes into the room, she can be regulated in it. Because if that particular word is so ingrained in this trauma narrative. Yeah. I love that we're talking about reclaiming. It's something that Marshall and I have talked about a lot is like reclaiming certain words. Mm. That the relationship with the word gives a sense in your body that might not actually reflect what that word was meant to mean or Mm. right. Like we hold a story around certain words and Mm -hmm. whether it's cunt or touched or Mm -hmm. I don't anything. Yeah. We were talking more about like spiritual language, that there's certain words that are meant to be reclaimed. And so as a therapist, are there words you need to work, right? Even as I say work on, I'm like, that's not really what I mean. I don't mean like you're doing something wrong and work on it. Mm. It's more like, can we be curious about what certain words land like in your system? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can I read another one of these plant cards? Yeah. I have this beautiful flora healing uh, card deck that we talked about in another episode. The one that I drew when we sat down today was elderberry. So I just, this is so satisfying to me to just work in like plant love into this podcast. I just like have to say, (laughs) it might be entirely self-serving though. That's not the feedback we've gotten. So we're just going to go with it. Um, We all know from the pandemic that elderberry can be healing and it symbolizes relief. So I just want, if you can, to take a moment, just begin to settle in your seat. Or if you're multitasking with laundry or cleaning up your office or driving, just begin to notice your surroundings as we can now tend to our environment and to ourselves. And elderberry the berries are very small. They're on this woody branch. I'm looking at the card here with these um, thick uh, leaves here. And they're dark, dark berries. Uh, relief. Elderberry offers relief, much like the comfort we feel when someone witnesses our humanity, tends to us with empathy, and cares for us authentically. An advocate for a strong spirit, this flora offers support when depletion has the upper hand. Living mindfully can cause exhaustion when others do not. Similar to when our immune system is in overdrive, our psyche is challenged when our mental state and emotional stores are meddled with. Walking through briar is taxing when we know there is a clearer path. So knowing our injuries are a part of life. Tending to ourself is essential. What people, places, or things offer you relief when overwhelm seeps into your life? And I'm curious what words, poems, tender readings offer you relief when overwhelm seeps into your life? <laughs> 